HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. We are so excited to have Chef Brian Dunsmore back to the show. He last stopped by over in 2017 when he was cooking at Hatchet Hall, and he has a new spot on the east side of Los Angeles called Dunsmore. We talk about the road to opening, his idea and practice in the menu and how he's approaching the cooking, and we get into a little bit of the culinary history of America. And then we dig deep into the archives for a classic performance from Eli Paperboy Reed, it's one of our favorites. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, can we leave the plate? It sounds good. Baby, ah, your mama, you're driving me crazy. 
Brian, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Good to see you. Congrats on the new restaurant. Thanks for making the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, the last time we saw you was 2017. You did our one like live in-person recording um, that we did in LA that had like a live show, full show out of our buddy Cameron's place. But you were over at Hatchet Hall and, um, you know, you left that last year in 2021. What was the rest of the time like uh, between when you were on the show to, to the, you know, the moment you walked out the door? Uh, walked out of the door of Hatchet Hall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. You know, I think after we chatted on Snacky Tunes last time, you know, a lot happened. You know, we got a Jonathan Gold review that really, really blew us up and made us busy. Uh, we moved into not only doing like regular service, uh, we started doing these American food history driven tasting menus, which was really, really fun. And then, uh, you know, once the pandemic hit, I had a pretty serious injury at the two, end of 2020 that kind of led to my exit from Hatcha Hall and presented uh, this new opportunity to open Dunsmore on the east side where, where I live. I mean, it could be pretty scary. I know that during the pandemic, it was tough for a lot of people work-wise, um, and no industry was really hit harder than the restaurant industry. What type of change were you looking for in leaving Hatchet Hall? What were you hoping to explore um, within this space? Well, I think um, a big a big part of one of the reasons I wanted to open a restaurant on this side of town is, like I said before, it's because this is where I live and these are the people that, you know, I enjoy spending time, you know, East side and West side are two very different mm -hmm. uh, animals. And quite honestly, I think that the people on this side of town uh, appreciate kind of our mantra and more care more about the things that we do here at Dunsmore than what we had on the West side. <clears throat> I mean, is it, it's so tough, especially for people who don't live in L.A., to really understand that it really is two different towns. I mean, you can look at New York and say, you know, there's the people who live on the Upper East Side, West Side, people, you know, Lower Manhattan, things like that. But you really do get a cultural divide, I think, on the East Side and West Side of L.A. What is that perspective from a food point of view, especially when you're running a restaurant and trying to get people in the door? Well, I think, like, being an East Sider and now having a restaurant on the East Side, like – People, more like-minded people to myself, I feel, live on the east side, more mm. artistic, more liberal, uh, more opinionated people that, that care more about like the small details and mm. like our sourcing and our techniques sure. behind the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely, an, uh, I live about as far east side in LA as you can over in Altadena, um, but there we're is neighbors. part, yeah, we're neighbors. Um and I definitely understand that. I definitely think that there is – when you see a restaurant opening on this side, especially with the reshaping of the pandemic, um, people just want to be closer to home. People want to be cooking for their community. Um, what, in, in opening Dunsmore and, and in building a restaurant near where you live, what was the community factor? What did you want to put into that um, as far as like uh, working restaurants, things like that? Because like when you walk in, it feels very welcoming to everyone. Yeah, well, you know, we're kind of uh, my partners and myself. We're kind of trying to 
make a new formula and maybe not a formula, but like a new way of running restaurants. Uh, one through the way that we present the food and the service and whatnot, mm-hmm. but also like how we treat, you know, the family here at the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all the staff, uh, we do it a little bit differently here and like, we're really, really proud of it. So opening this restaurant, actually, let me step back a second. When, when I was hurt and during the pandemic, I had a chance to look at a lot of, a lot of numbers that I hadn't had a chance to look at. And, uh, Manuel Mendoza, who's, he was a sous chef over at Hatchet Hall, who's now the chef de cuisine, Mm well-deserved, uh, he, you know, he was making so much money over there. We paid well, but then I got to see some numbers of like what some of the front of the house was making. Like we had a, like a bartender mm-hmm. that was working four days a week and making like nearly twice as much as Manuel, you know, Manuel, mm-hmm. Manuel would have left. It would have been detrimental to the restaurant. Whereas sure. this bartender, he was great you know, worked four days a week, made a bunch of money and got to travel the world and do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Um, but if he left, you know, it would suck, but you know, we would be fine. And the way that restaurants have traditionally been run, you know, there's been a massive gap, you know, just like in the world today, mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. You know, upper class to lower class people where like, for example, like a dishwasher would be like, way down here and a bartender or server would be way up here and a restaurant's kind of like a football team you need all you need all the different parts to make them run and you know i hate to say it but like i i don't i don't think a like a lead cook in a dishwasher should be making the same amount of money because there's a different skill skill set and like pedigree that comes along with that but we we really need to work on on closing closing that gap because you know like dishwashers you know they've been working in almost like poverty wages yeah. forever and servers have been making you know a, a ton of money it, everybody deserves to make good money but the difference in that just isn't fair for the importance of each role in a restaurant environment uh, so what we're doing here at Dunsmore is we're a pooled a pooled house so mm. every front to the back gets tips and it has it's caused a lot of you know hiccups here and there you know people adapting to the changes but we're really proud to kind of close that gap and get people what they deserve you know even even dishwashers here at the restaurant are making a living wage working working one job whereas before like one half of the staff would make a ton of money and they would have to work two jobs, seven days a yeah, week to make yeah. ends meet. You know, one of the biggest things that keeps coming up again and again is staff retention and people who want to keep working at um, a restaurant. And, I, you know, I, obviously there's the hip factor. It's like, is it a cool restaurant? Do I want to work there? But then it starts drilling down to culture and livable wage and, like, what does the restaurant stand for? And now with workers in such high demand supply – if you aren't willing to say like, this is what we're doing differently, like this is a different approach to running a restaurant, they'll be like, okay, cool. Like I'll just go. Thanks for two weeks. I got my check. I'll go somewhere else until I find a place that I get burnt out on. So I think having those hiccups while they're rough can lead to more retention longevity with the people who work with you. Yeah. I think one of the really important things 
that we did is we opened with this structure, which is great. Rather than like starting and getting people on board and then deciding uh, to switch it. But like you said, the restaurant does feel really warm and welcoming, which is why we've been so busy and had so many, like a crazy amount of repeat customers. And, you know, we've had lots of conversations about why that might be. And I genuinely think it's because it's because of the front of the house staff. So, you know, we've had a hard time getting more veteran servers and whatnot that have come from like a pedigree of like sure. fine dining or high end restaurants. Uh, but we also we also have the ones that we have been able to keep are, are really great. And, you know, it just shows, you know, they care about people. And then on the other side of that, we've also, uh, we have a bunch of green front of the house that, Ooh. that aren't set in those ways and aren't used to making, you know, nice six figure salaries or mm-hmm. you know, paychecks. Uh, and they're not disgruntled at all. I think they're really proud of being involved in a restaurant that wants to run things the way that we do. And yeah. with that, like lack of, that lack of experience and lack of like built in, you know, habits, they are just naturally really warm and genuinely happy to be there and, and are happy to have people in, which, which we're really proud yeah. of. I mean, look, just because you work at a restaurant and you learn habits doesn't mean they're good habits. Doesn't mean no. it's good for the industry as a whole. And yeah, so the industry's been totally fucked for so long. And now, you know, I, I, I see lots of restaurants like experimenting. I've had lots of conversations with different yeah. people. And, like everybody's trying it different because there isn't a, a set formula for, for how to do this. And our ours is far from perfect, but, you know, we're really trying to work on it. So with this new approach and, you know, anyone who's followed your career knows that you've had three or four name recognizable restaurants or pop-up projects over, you know, the last 10 years plus in LA. With this new approach, with thinking about what you want out of life, is this why you put your literal name on the restaurant? (laughs) Um, We went through a long process of trying to choose the name. And, you know, my partners were like, what about Dunsmore? What about Dunsmore? <laughs> and I was just like, absolutely not. I was mm-hmm. like, there's no mm-hmm. way of putting my name on a restaurant. Sure. But, um, you know, after a lot of back and forth, they like pulled a fast one on me and they, they basically went out and took a little poll with a bunch of industry people <laughs> that I respect. And out of all the names that we chose, I think like 85% or something like that, that's a kind of a made up number, but the, the vast majority was like Dunsmore for sure. So, you know, I, I gave and, and now, and now I really, now I really like it. You know, I'm proud of the name. My sister and I were both adopted. Uh, mm. Our parents are awesome. Like they're the best. We're all really, really close. So having a, a restaurant that bears, you know, their name, our name. Uh, I'm really proud of it now. Yeah, I told I told my partners I was like, well, you guys are gonna have to be the ones to explain to all the chefs making fun of me how this name came to be. <laughs> I know, I know, but you know, it, it's got um, it's got this stoicness to it that just sounds like a place or a term. Like it, it, it fits with the vibe. 
and it fits with like, your approach of like an historical look backwards. You're like, have I been to Dunsmore? Did we drive through when we were in, in the South? Is it a is it a city in Virginia? I feel like I've been there before. You yeah, know? not many people realize it's my name. I know it, it's kind it of throws me under the bus. They're like, "This is Dunsmore himself." You know, his name's in the door. I'm like, I, I always try to be sneaky and just like pretend I'm a cook because we all wear the same thing. <laughs> but they it's always it's just Chef or Brian D. No relation to the name of the door. Um, <laughs> all right, listen, let's take a quick musical break. I want to come back. I want to talk a little bit about the food and some of the design um, and talk about like how there's this warmth that really hits you as a, as a guest um, throughout the whole restaurant. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Don't follow me, honey. Not the road you want to be on. Yeah, the sky may seem sunny. I know I'll be the one you gotta lean on. You've got some time to spill and shine what you think you may want. See, you got the nerve, oh, the nerve to be so kind. Yeah, find yourself a little brown hole, too dark for believing in lies, lies, lies. Oh, stand up and fight, stand up and fight, stand up and fight, fight, fight. Oh, the river you damn won't dry. And the feelings you have, it's alright Just please, sister, please give it time Cause not everybody walks straight lines Straight line, 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 line Gonna feel is love, love. Tie the ribbon around you. All you're gonna feel is love. Sing, tie the ribbon around you. All you're gonna feel is love, 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 Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Chef Brian Dunsmore of Dunsmore that recently opened up. Um, and anyone who's followed your cooking, especially with the American Heritage Dinners at Hatchet Hall, know that you have an eye to the past and always looking at tradition and ingredients and techniques. Um, and you can see the continuation from your previous culinary restaurants and pop-ups, but this is a feels like a very new perspective for you on this type of cooking. When did you come up with the concept and when did this menu start to formulate in your mind? How did you get to this spot? Well, I think, you know, back in the day when we were doing Wolf and Sheep's clothing and mm-hmm. and Heart and the Hunter, you know, I we were doing very much so Southern food. You know, I came mm-hmm. from the South. I was trained by a Southern chef. And uh, I like, I started reading some books about Southern food and there was lots of histories tied into that. Um, and 
I became pretty fascinated with the history of Southern food, which which is truly the first cuisine of the South. Uh, and all the other cuisines kind of sprawled out of that. So the more research I did and the more the older I got and the more kind of academic my interest became, I started realizing all these ties and it, it's almost like a family tree that just sprawls out you know, across the country. And the more that I learned things were connected to Southern food, the more I started researching into those things. Mm. And the interest just kept growing and growing and growing from an interest in Southern food history to American food history as a whole. Uh, you know, when we were doing those dinners at Hatchel Hall, I would ask the patrons, you know, what, what do you think American hmm. food is? And a hundred percent across the board, everybody would say the same thing. So like pizza, hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken wings, Coca-Cola, you know, this and that. And that was really frustrating because, yeah, that is some of the things that it is now. But that wasn't until, you know, recently that it became that way. I agree. Yeah. 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 So then, then we really started asking ourselves, why do people not understand American food? And, you know, my whole theory is just because it's tied to a bunch of fucked up things that have happened in the past in this country. And people Fair don't. Enough. People don't want to acknowledge it or talk about it. And, you know, just to be clear, like that's not it's not an agenda per se that we have. It's just it's a general interest. And it's just funny to me that other countries like let's say like Spain or Italy or France, for example, like they have a very defined food ways. And, you know, I would say the majority of people understand for the most part why and how it got there and we don't so that's kind of like the thesis behind this restaurant is what is what is american food well i mean i think you can look at america as a true melting pot and if you don't have um let's say like post-colonization uh, like anything that is one true american type of cuisine it's easy to not ever be more to any tradition because nothing goes back with a anyone who came over from into like the new world in a tradition that's solely American. It's all imports. And yeah. So it's easy to be like, let's just replace this. Let's just swap this out. This is just, this is just what we're drawn to. Um, but also, you know, since a lot of traditional original American cuisine is not from people who maybe colonized this country, it's easy to say like, we'll just, we'll look for something new or something easier or something different. Yeah. There's just, you know, there's, countless hands that have been in the American cooking pot, yeah. you know, since the beginning until now. And it was, you know, it was like a progressive thing. It didn't all just happen all at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a chef, like we all like joke around and make fun of like fusion food, especially like when sure. I was younger, it's like, Oh yeah, like cool fusion. Uh, and now that I'm a little bit more researched and a little more knowledgeable, I realize like I cook the definition of fusion food like america american yeah food, a fusion of pretty much all the cuisines around the world uh all coming into not one cuisine it's like we have we have a bunch of different cuisines throughout the country it's funny when i was in culinary school i remember being in american regional uh class and being like oh this is this is boring yeah. learn about you know 
different kinds of Asian food and this and that. And, uh, and, and now I think regional American food is probably my favorite, favorite topic. Cause you can look at each region or micro region and see like all the different cultures and people and techniques and ingredients and like over a timeline that kind of formed each region. So like yeah. for example, my, my family, my entire family is from southeastern Colorado. They're all all ranchers. You know, they raise have cattle and calf programs, or they raise feed corn, and they basically like people would be like, "Well, why why does your family cook Mexican food?" I'm like, "They don't they don't cook Mexican food. They their their region just happens to be in the Mexican border food region of our country." So. Um, my family's signature dish and the region's signature dish is a roasted green chili and pork stew. My family, they serve it with uh, flour tortillas and pinto beans. Funny, funny enough, I just found out like in the past couple of years, once I started like getting more into this, that my family actually, my mom's side of the family were actually the ones that brought pinto beans into Colorado. But then really, yeah. And huh. But I didn't grow up in Colorado. My entire family's from Colorado. We're like the black sheep. I was raised in the South. And, you know, I grew up eating, you know, black-eyed peas with right. and, and right. corn button sliced tomatoes. Like, you can see similarities between the two, but they're completely different. But they're both equally American dishes. Right. You start looking at staples. You're like, okay, this is the local grain. This is the local bean. This is like what we use for our grains to turn into breads or to, you know, some sort of flatbread. This is the meat. This is the vegetable. And you're like, oh, it's if you broaden out, you're like, oh, I see the interconnectivity. But it's like, you know, up in Maine, we get wild blueberries, in, you know, or, or you know, and we know that in the south, we're going to get citrus and this in the winter months. And you, but you start seeing it's like, oh, everyone has their own fruits, vegetables, core staple crops. Or that's how it used to be before, like, a Monsanto got involved and sort of fucked everything up. Yeah. Well, like, the, the way that food regions work, it's basically, like, first you have, like, the land. Yeah. And that, and that includes, you know, the soil, the weather, the terrain, what can and can't grow there. And then that dictates, like, what can and can't survive there. And then you have, first you have, then you have the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And they're traditions, their techniques, their opinions on food, their ingredients. And like, that's like the second factor in a region. And then you have first settlers, you know, for example, you know, the natives in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, and then like, were already there and they were already had established foodways. And then you had the colonists come and then their two cuisines married to form you know, either a colonial cuisine or a pioneer cuisine, depending on like what the, what the movement is. And then the next factor is uh, second settlers. And, you know, for example, like in the South, like that would have been enslaved people. Yeah. So you have like the Gullah Geechee cuisine and a lot of stuff coming from Africa and, you know, you have who's in the kitchen cooking and who's the people who are sharing recipes and you know you start to trace it and people go like oh this american cuisine is i mean it's it's got a violent history 
And it's and I think going back to your point, like there are parts about it where it is really taboo to talk about because it's not, you know, it's colonization and it's it's enslavement and a lot of foods that people love came out of it, but it's not it's not some pretty story where like maybe in Spain or something like that, it's like, oh, this region we've we've grown ham, we've we've raised pigs here for thousands of years. And that's why it's in our tradition. Like it's a like many things in America, it's like a lot more a lot more blemishes. Onto, yeah. onto it. And, and so the, when you're like, I want to celebrate it, I, you know, it's easy to get entrapped in some of those pockets, but it's like, well, this is the history of the food and this is how we're going to shine a line on it. And this is how we're going to tell and share the story. Yeah. You know, none of us had anything to do with that. So I feel like it's our obligation to shine light on the people that did, you know, mm-hmm. have their hands in the cooking pot and develop the cuisine that we all now call our own today. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that um, you also really integrate beyond the ingredients and the history and the story um, is cooking methods. And I know that fire has always played a huge part in your cooking. Um, and at Dunsmore, that's no exception. You have this beautiful hearth and you use um, different types of heat. How have you applied fire in this cooking? Where is it different from like what you were doing at Hatchet Hall? Um like what is the uh, methodology of cooking with fire in relationship to your new menu? I think our whole mantra with cooking with fire and, you know, we also don't use any, any machines at the new restaurant at all uh, other than temperature control, like as in like refrigeration. Sure. Like we have no blenders, we have no food processors, no immersion circulators or sous vide machines or anything like that. We do everything everything by hand with uh, like traditional Mm -hmm. minimal techniques because like the box that we like to work in, it's kind of like cooking traditional American food with the knowledge that we have today with the limitations of back then. And obviously that's, Mm -hmm. that's not totally true because we are a, a, a licensed operating restaurant in Los Angeles. So there's certain rules that we have to <laughs> right. by and sustainability things. So like sure. in the open kitchen, you know, we have a we have a small hearth as well as a wood burning oven where we do the majority of our, our prep. Um, and then we have a two eye, the only gas that we have in the building is a two eye French top, which you know, my little cheat or little spiel is it kind of represents a pot belly stove, but sure. Like, before my ego, I would love to have a pot belly stove back there that we're feeding wood, but it's just not, it's just, you know, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. That's a lot yeah. to the environment as well. It's a lot of, yeah, water. it's, it's just not responsible from a sustainability standpoint to be boiling water while burning wood because like, yeah, one, there's only so much wood Two wood's expensive and it's just like one of those things it's like is it is it actually it's it's not going to impart any flavor on the food so just wait to the uh fifteen thousand word essay on dunsmore doesn't boil his water with wood i can't wait to read it (laughs) (laughs) one day one day um you know the 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 fire and the techniques and the design i know you've worked with lovers unite um, to design the space. And I know I mentioned it before, but there is this, I mean, it's a new, you know, you've only been open for six months, but there is this like warm, 
worn in in the best way possible like feeling when you walk into the door which is different than some of the other new restaurants that that open in la what do you credit to that was that intentional or is that just all the different you know parts leading to a greater sum well it was really nice working with lovers unite on the uh on the design they're they're really really talented and a lot of their projects in the past that I've researched, you know, especially before when we were like shopping around, figuring out who we wanted to work with, you know, they're pretty modern. And, you know, I have strong opinions on design. Um, but if I was to design this restaurant myself, it would look like a fucking wax museum. You know, <laughs> I just want all old shit and, you know, this and that. And it would be very like, one one-sided which isn't sure. what we're going to do because we're not like we're not doing traditional traditional heritage food here we're, we're doing like a more relevant and modern take on traditional food so we wanted the the design to speak that as well mm-hmm. so you know we did uh, a lot of a lot of collaborating and butting heads in the best way to get to where we got and uh like one of my favorite um, details about the design is the way that the hearth and the oven are mm-hmm. built into the, the one facade because way back in the day in early America, there was something called a chimney tax. Mm. So the more chimneys that you had on your house or on a building, mm-hmm. the heavier you would get taxed. So traditionally they would build the wood oven or like back then it would be a little different. It would be called a beehive oven. They would build the, the hearth or cooking hearth and the oven into the same corner so it would only require one chimney like for example like if you had a four-room house let's say it's a square you know people would strategically put the fireplaces in each room in the inside corner so you would only have to have one chimney so that's where the design aspect of that came but um you know with like my kind of old antique vibe and their modern vibe yeah i think we came out with the best possible design and um i think a lot of it was their sourcing of all the handmade wood in the in the restaurant because it it definitely has like there's a a feel of a lot of craftsmanship in the building with like a with like an old and slightly modern take and then the you know the candlelight and the firelight from the open kitchen definitely creates a vibe for sure it's a good vibe. You know, it's got that feeling of like when you go uh, stay somewhere rustic, but you have really good water pressure in a modern kitchen. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I like the old bones, but I have some creature comforts. Uh, <laughs> so, look, you've been open uh, for a few months now. Um, where do you see Dunsmore evolving? What's what, you know, obviously settling in as a nice community spot um, and a great neighborhood restaurant. But what what are your personal goals? What would you like to see? Um, well, first we need to get to a point, you know, we've been pretty busy right, right from the sure. Like we've just been sure. Congratulations. We get all the food ready every day, but you know, I just, I'm excited about getting to a place, which I think we're getting close. We, you know, hiring has been tough after mm-hmm. the pandemic and the industry's changed a lot, but we got like some talented young folk coming on to, to help us out and then put us in a place where we can really, work on pushing and digging deeper and deeper into the mantra and like the limitations and goals that we've 
set for ourselves. Like for, for example, um, I would say early next year, we're going to start working into a, like a themed tasting menu at the six seat bar in front of the hearth, not like a traditional 15 course, like dainty, like little pretty plates type tasting menu, but more like, like themed as in maybe we can focus on, on different regions and, or like old American tavern food or foods of the Americas or, you know, we're, I think we're going to start working into that, but it's not going to be a traditional tasting menu. Like I said a second ago, we're really going to try to explore authenticity in American food because the only mm. American food that I truly feel like I understand is Southern food. And that's not from like researching or being a chef or anything like that. It's just because I grew up around it. And yeah. I, was, I was steeped in that my whole life. So I was thinking about talking to some other chefs that grew up in other regions that like truly understand the cuisine of whatever region that might be and trying to collaborate with them on like an authentic, like a truly authentic experience in, in that direction, which I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, we're a little ways off until we're going to be in a place to be able to do that. Amazing. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough. If people want to follow along with what's going on or um, make a reservation, where can they go? Uh, they can go to dunsmore.la. That's our, our website. Or they can follow us at, at dunsmore.la on Instagram. Uh, reservations through the website, open table, you know, all the good things. Or just call me on my cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And shout out to Tessa. So happy to always chat with her. Yeah, uh, setting up. things up. She's the best. Anyway, here we go. A song from the archives and then a live performance from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Eli Paperboy Reed, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited about it. Yes, you know, it's. Uh, I was talking to Justin uh, earlier when we were on the train over here, which is probably why we got the wrong stuff. I was like, who <laughs> should we have on the show that would make a make sense this first week back? And then I'm like, and I've got Soul Bowl with Eli Reed on Wednesday, but really, who could we have on the radio <laughs> show? And I wish that someone had sat there to see the lightning bolt strike through my head. So, uh, Eli... Uh, well, and that was uh, a great story. By thank the way. you. I, yeah. Hey, man. What? Are, how are you want to do these transansitions? So, Eli, uh, new album out. New album out. About to go back on the road. Yes. Talk to me how the new year is going so far. Well, I'm excited. We got to take the month of December off, which is always fun. And then, um, you know, really hitting the ground running for 2011. And sort of, uh, you know, the album came out. It was sort of like a soft release here in August. And now we're kind of you know, kind of picking it up with a brand new, you know, start for for 2011, which I'm excited to really, to hit the road, you know, in earnest. And we're going, you know, doing a short U.S. tour, starting with the Soul Bowl on Wednesday at Brooklyn Bowl. And then, and then, um, in February, we're doing this residency at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, which I'm very excited Ooh. about. And doing some solo shows on the West Coast. I'm going to go to South by Southwest, head back to Europe, and maybe Australia in April. So a lot of stuff is, is really starting to happen, which is very exciting. It's interesting. The Cosmopolitan, uh, I keep hearing about the place, like the yeah. new, like, ro- like real rock and roll uh, Vegas hotel. I think, like, not that this rock was like something like Jay Z and Radiohead or something like that for New Year's. Yeah, they, it was crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Were you there? No, I wasn't uh, there, but but my actually my manager was there and told me that it was nuts. Oh, and, the know. text was like crazy. Jay Z and Radiohead back to back. But um, we uh, one of the things that I like about you is that you're from Boston, and I know we we're talking about it before because Darren uh, or Terry, as we call him on here, uh, <laughs> was went to go visit um this farm, and he's like, hey, yeah, I just took a two hour detour to Anna's Taqueria, and I brought you back a burrito. So uh, is, yep. is that really like is it that much of commitment to that place that if you were like in a certain radius, you'd be like, yeah, let's just dip back up in there? Well, in Boston, there's there's definitely burrito wars that go on, yeah, you know, in in the burrito circles. But for those of you know people that that don't care about such things, then Anna's Taqueria is the place to be. What's what's the what's the main competition? I mean. There's El Pelon. El Pelon, which burned down, down, but now I think that it's open again. <laughs> Suspect. Yeah, Suspect. exactly. There was but, a, uh, yeah, a you know, bean fire. Everybody's like, the sour cream is not authentic, man. I'm just like, it tastes delicious. Yeah, Whatever. it tastes great. You know? Okay. So it's not, it's authentic, can, can, but it tastes I, terrible. I will say this. If, uh, 
your main argument is authenticity yeah. in the Mexican Boston burrito Bo- <laughs> You are on the wrong page. Yeah, you really so. just got to... Oh, yeah. It's you know. that normal check. I went to school in the Northwest and, you know, a million and one burrito places. Mm-hmm. So it's like authenticity really does come into play there. But there it's like, you know, up to Mexico through Texas and do I go left or, or do I go yeah, right? And mostly... Most people go, go left. left. Yeah. There, there's what, the Cosmic board. Cosmic Canteen down near Kenmar. There's a bunch of places. Um, I haven't lived in Boston, and in, in it it'll be my three-year anniversary as a Brooklynite no. next month. But, um, you know, uh, it doesn't... It, it re- I mean, I was going to Anastakaria since it opened when I was 12, so yeah, I, I mean, feel it, like I, I have I have an allegiance there. I was there for their 15th anniversary. Oh, really? Yeah, they gave, they're giving her free tacos. Nice. Nice. I mean, did you plan... How did, did you plan that? <laughs> when, it's not important. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's not important. I was just there. Look, I was just, look, when you're committed and dedicated to something that you love, you just, exactly. you're, you're just there. Uh, so why don't we get you to play a song? All right. And then we will come back and talk about the song, and among other things. Uh, you are listening to Eli Paperboy Read live on Snacky Tunes. Are we going to do one from the new album that you guys didn't play? This is Name Colin. time ago when we were in school you used to laugh at me call me a fool how i dreamed of the day that you would change your tune i never thought that day would come so soon you went from name calling to calling my name you went from school yeah teasing to all night pleasing used to be so much trouble now your love is double things will be the same since you went from name calling to calling my name. Uh. All right. It all started that day after summer vacation. I knew I had changed. Your heart said occasion. Oh, don't know what I did. Change your mind. Must have been something within you. All the time you went from name calling to calling my name. You went from school teasing to all night pleasing. Used to be so much trouble. Now you're with me on a double. Things will never be the same since you went from name calling to calling my name. Now instead of fussing and fighting, we're making sweet romance and love letter writing. Like the old saying goes, and girl, you must take heed. I may not be what you want, but I'm what you need. Ch- 
Whoa. Oh. All right. First live performance of 2011. It's a barn burner. Uh, I always love to know, uh, all, you know, most songs that we're, we have in here are about like love, loss, and past relationship. Uh, <laughs> is it multiple people in the songs, or do you find like it's usually one or two people that have been like giving you heartbreak over years? Or is it imaginary? It's either one or two people, or it's imaginary, I think. That it's like, I mean, either you're talking about something specific or you're talking about something that you're making up for the most, at least for me, you know, uh, but you know, those one or two experiences can be life altering. Yeah. Right. Like, so yeah. they even inform your imaginary songs. Fair enough. Uh, was that about a real person or a fake person? Uh, mm-hmm. It was sort of about a real person. That's pretty good. You know, sort ha- of. Have you written any songs that have predicted relationships? No, no. I don't think so. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Life is short. Yeah. So you know, the first time I actually heard about you was uh, when I was spinning mostly soul music and calling through blogs like that, and uh, it was I found "Take My Love with You," mm-hmm. and I thought it was an old song. Like, <laughs> like I, there was no reference; it was just a song on blog. And then, uh, and then I realized that you were still playing, and in my mind, you're like, "Oh, here's some guy who's like now 65." Right. And then I realized that you were younger than I was, <laughs> and then I and then I was like, "Oh, well, we gotta go see that guy." So how have you really? Um, I guess found that sound that really makes it sound. I mean, you sound more like the old school than someone like a Mayor Hawthorne. Like he, he does a lot more. Like it's sort of soul, but it's also sort of like modern. You have a more classic sound. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's not like uh, uh, to, not to put defo- too fine a point on it, but I'm, I'm trying not to. I, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, in, in a way, this is this is the music that I was raised on. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up listening to, to R&B and, and to gospel music, country music, and soul music especially. You know, it was always around my house. It wasn't something like Mayor Hawthorne, for example, you know, was a hip-hop kid and, the, right. and then became, you know, a, a, a devotee of soul music, which is, you know, and a lot of people come to it that way, which I think is awesome. But for me, if I came to soul music through the blues, you know, and I was, like, listening to blues from from very very, very young age. And that was... Like I was always a like I like ballads and I like the, the the deep stuff you know so for me I was never like you know into hip hop and then got into funk or whatever because of the break beats I was like give me I I'll play all ballads if 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 I can you <laughs> if know? so it was really about the emotional quality of the singing and of the music for me more than it was about almost anything else so like I didn't even care about the beats I don't care about what I mean I mean now I'm sort of changed my approach a little bit but for the most part it's really about the the emotional impact of the music are there any songs from your childhood that have made it into your your set as covers or that you just identify as just you know the end-all be-all of 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 the music i feel like the one through through my whole you know between the band the true loves or whatever has been playing we started playing around boston i guess it was 2000 for 2005 and I feel like we still play this one song called I'm Tired of Wondering by Robert Ward and the Ohio Untouchables which Ooh. is one of my favorite favorite songs to play I love it and, and what is it about that that has like stayed through all, all the years I think it's like sort of a representation of I mean I love Robert Ward because he was he's a guitar player and and wrote his songs on the guitar and you could tell that they're very kind of guitar oriented soul songs and those are the kind of stuff that I like like him same with Don Covey was a big, you know, Bobby Womack are, are all guitarists who wrote songs. And even Sam Cooke was, was a, you know, wrote his songs on the guitar. And this, that kind of has this particular, you know, especially like all the songs that have this big six chord at the beginning. You know, <laughs> I love that. that. That'll turn me on anytime. Just like Cupid. Exactly. You know, so so I, I think that, you know, and, and Robert Ward, you know, he's probably my favorite guitarist. He's an amazing singer, you know, and, 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 and very unacknowledged. 
Would you uh, Would you mind performing it? Whew, I don't know. Let's see. I could play. All right, I'll give it a shot. Let's All see. Right. Live on Snacky Tunes. Let's see. I haven't, I haven't played this solo in a long time. We'll see how it comes out. We're very forgiving here. You ready? Yep. Let's move it closer. You can leave the plate. It sounds good. I mean, right. yeah, <laughs> okay. Sounds, sounds like you remember that one. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the tough thing about loving soul music is that uh, so many of the people that you respect and would love to play with and collaborate with are no longer with us. But if you did have the opportunity to work with some of the people, who would it be? Well, I, I actually think the amazing thing about soul music is that a lot of people are still with us. And I think... Uh, <laughs> Touche. Uh, no, no, I mean, I, obviously... your point. <laughs> no, but I mean, obviously, like, you know, people say, it's like, oh, Sam Cooke is gone, Otis Redding yeah. is gone, all this stuff. But so many amazing people are sort of languishing, you know? And, and there's, you know, a great bunch of guys um, who run a night in Brooklyn called Dig Deeper, where they bring in all these, you know, under-recognized old soul singers and... The two of us actually have have put on the first and second annual Brooklyn Soul Festivals with some of these oh, yeah. artists. You know, um, I mean, uh, one of them who I've gotten to work with four or five times now is Roscoe Robinson, and Roscoe, oh, really? Roscoe has become a really good friend and mentor of mine. We speak, you know, probably you know once every couple of weeks, every every month or so, and and he's really just been a very very strong presence in in my life as a singer and as a songwriter and just in general. Um, you know, I, I think you know soul music. All these kind of singers are, are children of, of the '40s for the most part. So that you see all these these singers, that, you know, they're they're in their mid '60s a lot of the time, and their grandparents and their 
living, you know, a lot of them live, have moved back to the south from, from, from the northern cities and are just sort of languishing. And, and are so, you know, when you, get, when you call somebody like Barbara Lynn and say, I want you to come and play in front of 520-somethings in Brooklyn, and she's just like, I don't understand, right. you know? <laughs> and, and, and then and she does, and she plays and, and kills it, and, and it's just like, what, what is go- why are we not understanding that this is real, you know? So I, I think a lot of that has to do with people not going past the, the surface of, of soul music because there were so many different regional vari- variations and all this stuff and all these people that, that you know, they may have had one hit or two. I mean, Barbara, Wynn, Barbara Lynn had a, had a number one R&B hit and, yeah. and yet nobody really knows who she is at this point, which is, I think, a shame. And, and it gives somebody like me, I feel like, you know, a task. I, feel like, I mean, I feel like I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't continue to work with these people and, and seek them out. Do you find that it would, you know, doing something like where you did a duet CD or something like that, like, is that something that could really help spread the knowledge of that more than just doing one festival or just collaborating with them as a one-off? You know, I would love to, to do something. I mean, I, I've done, we did a duet with Barbara Lynn uh, for the, uh, what was it, um, KEXP in, in South By, I think? Mm-hmm. No, something like that. Uh, and, and, and was on their CD, uh, which is really cool. I, I think that more more than anything just to continue to 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 play and to 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 reach a younger audience and then and through that you know i think people have to sort of do the exploration on their own a little bit you know and and to find out the people that they like but you know any chance i get i'm going to be talking about the people that i love and the people that have influenced me um the hard thing about it is it's very expensive to do shows like that and to do you know and, and, and but you know for me it's a labor of love and i'm willing to to do it you know but I, I think as as you know, soul music continues to establish its presence in the mainstream, which I think is more than now more than ever, it's continuing to do so. Then those kind of things will continue to happen in earnest. I mean, look at R. Kelly's new single, "When yeah, a Woman Loves." I mean, that is a yeah. that is a straight up R and B classic. Again, if I'd heard, I mean, the, even, the, even the whole aesthetic looks like right. uh, Ray yeah. Charles on the cover. Well, it's just, it's funny. I mean, R. Kelly, it's just like he went to high school on the south side of Chicago. You know, he was immersed in that from, I'm sure, from a very young age. Right. So it's completely natural. He's just doing Jackie Wilson, like like I'm sure he's been doing since he was five years old. I mean, he's been doing that. You know? He's just been singing about exactly other things. You know, so <laughs> I love that. And I think it's a great song. And I think it's great to hear. And it's it's just sort of like. And the whole part one, part two thing that he does. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great. great. No, it's, it's, it's a total classic. With the backup singers and everything. No, it's 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 a beautiful record, and and whatever the CeeLo the CeeLo track, you know that that is you know like on on top you know top forty pop radio these days. Yeah, and that's know? that's classic soul. I mean, that's that's the same thing, but again with a more modern influence. Do you see yourself borrowing some, now that you know you grew up in soul, but now that you're touring and you're seeing these things? Um, I know you just put up this album, but do you see yourself sort of adapting or using other influences of modern music? I think that what I, I hope that this album, I mean, is more representative of of kind of my my own perspective as a songwriter. You know, I wasn't setting a, out to make a, you know uh, to remake some style. You know, and, and I and I don't think that I am for the most part. I, I think that I'm, I'm sort of doing what I know how to do. And, and yes, I mean, I'm excited to continue to record and, and and expound upon the style as much as I possibly can. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, since 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 the Amy Winehouse back to black, there's right. been all this rumbling. It was like, oh, soul music is making a comeback. Soul music is going to be pop again, and that was five years ago now. Right. You know, and it's just now really starting to happen. 
you know, and I, I think it's like with, you know, with, with the CeeLo being in top 40 and stuff like that, that's like, it's a big turning point. Yeah. You know? I think that the CeeLo and the R. Kelly thing yeah. is more than when they trucked out like Duffy because yeah, Amy Winehouse was a mess. It, it was just, it was like sort of a joke. I mean, I, I, we actually toured with Duffy. Um, which Sweet was, girl. It was, yeah, very nice. You know, but it, but it was clear that she wanted to be a pop singer and not she was not a soul. Yeah, singer. and they were just like, oh wait, Amy Winehouse is in rehab, so yeah, right. you'll be doing soul music. It, you know, and look at the the hooks. The rehab is is no no no, and mercy is yeah yeah yeah. It's the same same right <laughs> right. You know, but but I I think that people are you know uh, I'm not. I feel like you can't really be too conscious about style. You have to no. just kind of let it grow, and that's what I'm, I mean. I feel like if you look at Roll with You versus this new album, Come and Get It. You know, I think stylistically they're they're quite different, and and I think this one does lean more towards pop, just because I like poppy soul music, you know, and yeah. I think that's cool, you know, and I think that people are going to respond to that naturally. I, I I don't necessarily think that it's because of like, uh, you know, hipsters getting into soul music. I feel like this is like with the CeeLo track and the R Kelly track, this is more mainstream, like right. actually mainstream, and not just hipster mainstream. You know, right? So we got you playing Soul Bowl this Wednesday, Brooklyn Bowl. That's right, with uh, the Del Rays mm-hmm. and Spare Kid. Spare Kid. Uh, doors are at six. Show is at eight. You gotta let me give out the information. Give the information. Yeah, you ten bucks. To, ten bucks. Really great deal. Uh, fried we'll chicken be, bowling. Fried chicken. But we'll be dropping uh, classic soul hits throughout the night. And I know that we added on some special guest DJs. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's gonna be great. It's a, it's a good one. I mean, one of the first big shows of the, the year. I think so. I mean, I think it's going to be awesome. Brooklyn Bowl is a great venue. Where are uh, Wednesday's finest? Uh, what can people expect from the live show? Who's never seen you before in the new show that's about to hit the road? Um, it's, you know, we do m- uh, probably about 70% stuff from the new album and some from the old album and, and a few surprises here and there, like kind of, you know, blend some things together and extend some things out and, and you know add the flair for the dramatic that you need when you're playing soul music. So I think that people will just be, you know, it's, it's, it's a really exciting show. And, and I think if, if you let yourself get swept up in it, people will really be, uh, be excited about it. Awesome. Well, Eli, Justin, thank you so much. Uh, Eli, we're going to have you take us out on, on one more song. All right. Um, we'll do the whole thing. MySpace, Facebook. Oh, that's right. So it's, well, Eli, paperboyread.com, one word, facebook.com slash Eli, paperboyread. I'm all over. Facebook, Twitter. So if you if you write me a message, I will I will respond to you as long as it's not dirty, um, or the right kind of dirty. Yeah, or the right kind of you know right, whatever. Right. It's all good. And then uh, yeah, come and come and see us on Wednesday night. Well, actually, in addition to that, if you're beyond the New York area, on uh, on Friday night the 14th in Boston at the Middle East, and Saturday night in D.C. at the Rock and Roll Hotel, and Sunday night the 16th in Philadelphia at the North Star Bar. And all those dates are on the website eliepaperboyread.com. Awesome. Well, I am. Terry Diabolic of Finger on the Pulse. Did you never forget a Finger on the Pulse? Thank you so much to Roberta, Jack Inslee. Uh, we, have, we have a pretty big announcement coming up in a few weeks. Very we, excited about it. Do we? Do we? We do. Have we not already talked about it? I mean, we're going to officially announce it and talk about everything. <laughs> if you just go back and listen to the archives, Tease. which nice. can all be found. Don't tell people where they can find Tease. Snacky Tunes on iTunes. Anyway, thank you so much. Happy New Year, everybody. Eli Reed, take us home. Here we go.
So tell me what I wanna hear, oh yeah. Tell me what I need to know. I don't need to believe that look that's in your boy. Cause you keep on telling me, darling, all those sweet, sweet lies. Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.